You're listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Benton, culture consultant and founder of Liberty Mind, and I want to inspire people to create unique company cultures where our human potential can thrive. In this podcast, I talk to organizations and employees about the impact of company culture. Together, we can make it thrive. Hi, and welcome back to Make It Thrive. I would first of all like to say a big thank you to those of you who've messaged me or emailed me about season three and how much you're enjoying the topics. You really don't know how much I appreciate those. And it would be great if you could also show your support by rating and reviewing the podcast and even sharing it with friends or peers who you think may benefit from our conversations. Anyway, on to this week's episode. Now, I'm really excited about this week's chat as today I'm talking to Bevis Moynan, a trainer of neuro-linguistic programming, timeline therapy, senior trainer of motivational mapping and author of Mapping Motivation for Coaching. Bevis is the founder of Magenta Coaching Solutions, whose work involves helping people make transformational changes in their personal and professional lives. I've had the pleasure of working with Bevis on a number of occasions, and he is not only such a blooming, lovely person, but he is just a fountain of knowledge, and I know you're all going to get so much out of his experience. So let's get started. Hi, Bevis, and welcome to Make It Thrive. Give us an introduction to yourself and tell us about the work that you do. Oh, firstly, thanks, Lizzie, for inviting me. Always a pleasure to be invited and and get the chance to speak with you. So thank you. Um, So, yeah, so we we, uh, run a a coaching and training company, Magenta Coaching Solutions. um, And uh, as the name suggests, we offer coaching, um, but also um, to a wider audience training. So we train neuro-linguistic programming as practitioner level and master practitioner level. We train timeline therapists um, and we also train something called motivational mapping uh, uh, practitioners and uh, and trainers of motivational mapping, which I, I know is something that we're going to talk a little bit further about. So, yeah, we're effectively, we, we the majority of our business is, is based on helping people get out of their own way with greater understanding and awareness of themselves and, and NLP and motivational mapping and timeline therapy, just the tools that we, we use to do that. That's fantastic. And I must agree with you in regards to that self-awareness, because those tools are so important, especially when it comes to um, building our own self-awareness and awareness of others as well when it comes to company culture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think um, a lot of us in in, uh, life can try and find the solutions to our problems outside of ourselves by change of circumstance or relationship or even geographical move. And, And through greater awareness and um we realize that actually the solutions are inside but it's just knowing it's having that awareness sometimes it can just be one cent or one line or one extra piece of information or knowledge that can really begin to unpick for, for, for people absolutely i know i personally have a little bit of um uh experience with the motivational motive i can't even get my words out today motivational map as i've done one myself and it was so it highlighted so much to me and i think a lot of it i perhaps unconsciously knew yes but then when it's kind of laid out in front of you you go yeah that is actually definitely me (laughs) um but i've also had experience of um other personality tests for example um disc profiling yes so how are motivational maps different from personality tests I suppose or or is there similarities for example? 
There are some similarities. I mean, the major differences in that, that the motivational map is a, is a self-perception inventory that measures our values. It, it effectively measures our career values. Um, so in essence, the motivational map is measuring what is important to you in your work and also gives you an indication of how that's likely to change over time, especially with the in conjunction with a coach or a practitioner, so that you can make good career decisions. Um, and the thing about values and our values uh, around work is that they, they do change over time, whereas our personality remains relatively fixed. I'm still a an ENTP on as a, a Myers-Briggs profile, whereas my motivational map has almost turned upside down over the last 20 years or so. Wow, that's so fascinating. It's really interesting, actually, because when I now that I've had experience of the the personality testing and motivation maps, I do see the how actually you're almost building a picture of yourself, um, which is really yeah. fascinating because then you learn, um, you know, what especially when you're trying to develop yourself, you learn those areas where, where you're perhaps slightly weak and where you know you can work on and how you can work on those. Because sometimes when it comes to your, your personality, you work a certain way. So once you know that, you know how you can then build up those, those sort of weaknesses, I suppose. Yes, I mean, there's two sides to that. One is um, sometimes as an individual on your own, you have to work on your weaknesses. Um, when it comes to building a team, you're obviously looking for people that complement your weaknesses so that you can focus on your strengths, which is um, where often greater success comes by us all be, everyone being in our sweet spot. So there's links with creating teams. And the other thing with the maps as well is, it, is it, it's a fantastic management um, tool because it not only does it tell us what motivates an individual, it tells us how fulfilled they currently are against their motivational preferences. So the managers and leaders get a measure of how engaged and how motivated their teams and, and departments are and what they can do differently. Um, and because it's data and there's evidence, it, as a, I know as a consultant, and I don't do much consultancy anymore in business, but I have a team of mappers who go into business that, that they get much greater response when they've got some data and evidence to show actually look your team's currently not as motivated as it could be for these reasons and this is what you can do differently um so it's lovely to have that evidence and that data and the ability to then remap and show that the team's motivation and productivity has improved absolutely i think that that kind of data can be absolute gold for organizations when they're trying to improve their company culture and and try and improve on especially like learning and development programs as well understanding how people differ in their approach to learning as well is so vital so what first interested you in motivational mapping well it's funny because it wasn't that long after I got kind of I started my personal development journey so um, to cut a long story short, I, uh, the chairman of my cricket club that I played or played at started his personal development journey and started telling me about, <laughs> telling me about NLP. Um, that got me curious and I found myself on an NLP course back in 2008. That led to me attending a master practitioner course in 2010, after which I set up my coaching business. Um, I can't believe it's a decade ago now. Um, and the maps followed not long after because I was in that transition phase in the first year of running my coaching business where I was still employed um, and I was kind of umming and ahhing and unsure and anxious and all those not kind of feelings in that transition phase and then a map came along I think I was making my first post on LinkedIn somebody responded I ended up completing a map and I remember reading this map and it was all about freedom and independence and meaning and purpose and innovation and change and I was like yep yeah, that sounds like and it was almost like ah oh, 
that's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling in my employed work. It just wasn't fitting anymore. And then obviously to sit down with, with Nick, who was the chap who debriefed the map for me and to understand that actually my top motivators were only kind of four out of 10 or five out of 10 fulfilled. And I think the key word he said to me was, I said, Bevis, it's not like you're ever going to want less freedom. And I'm like, gosh, he's right. So the growth motivations of meaning and purpose and freedom, independence and creativity and innovation, if they are in your map and they are strong, they're, they're likely to grow over time. So, so it was, I guess, that, that first map completion, that first conversation with Nick back in 2010, that would have been, or back end of 2010, that all of a sudden I went from having completed the map to actually I want to do this myself. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. I, I think it was only a few months later that I went on to become a practitioner and, and also that I, I, I changed my idea of leaving employment into a firm plan. Wow. Just from that you know, moment, how your journey has then unfolded is so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I'm incredibly grateful and, and I feel quite humbled, really. I've, I was mentioning to you earlier, I've, James Sale and Linda Sale have been up to, to meet us at the Coach House Hub today, where our offices are based, and um, and to have co-written a book with him on, on motivational mapping for coaching, with coaching being my specialism. It, again, a few years ago, that would have been a dream. It was never even on my radar, so to be asked. <laughs> when I first became trained by James in motivational mapping in 2010, it was hardly on my radar so it is kind of amazing what what can happen and what does happen and, and I, the, that's probably the thing I enjoy most about my work now is helping new coaches and consultants or in fact often not actually just helping people who are on a personal development journey and then witnessing them then flourishing on their own journey um yeah I'm sat looking at an office over opposite me where there's a chap called Paul who works from there running his own independent coaching and training business and I've been it's been a, a real privilege to work with Paul to getting to the stage where he's now fully independent so so yeah that's that's I, I guess it's that search element of wanting to help people on their own journey absolutely I love it I find it so interesting I really do especially I mean I'm a, I'm a, a massive advocate advocate of personal development anyway and the benefits that it can bring and you've touched on briefly about how actually as well as well as yourself it also benefits those around you especially when you are building teams or trying to create a really positive company culture. I mean, in kind of more specifics, how can these motivational maps help leaders in organisations to really engage their teams? Yeah, well, engagement is, is such a, a buzzword at the moment, and quite rightly. Um, I think some of the statistics from uh, around engagement are quite scary, and 63% of people leaving their boss around their job, and, and more, yeah. more than half of the workforce actively disengaged. Um, and these are kind of quite evident statistics from Forbes and Gallup. So uh, leadership is a really tricky business. Um, and I was talking about this earlier. Because the thing is that if you're a leader or a manager, you're managing somebody and you're managing Bill and Bill's motivated and you're motivated. And yet two years down the line, you've still got those two same people. And yet the way in which management is now being delivered is no longer fulfilling. Either one of those person's drivers and motivations can have changed, a circumstantial change can have caused a shift, or it can have just been the natural evolution of people's interests and drivers changing. So... So to, to, I think we're all taught to treat people the way that we want to be treated. And of course, that's natural. So as a manager, I was motivated by freedom and independence. Guess what? I gave my team a lot of freedom and independence. As soon as I got the maps back, I was like, oh, geez, that's why I'm struggling with 60% of my team. Because 
more than half of my team, bearing in mind we were in a local government, wanted structure and regular communication. And I was using in ex- exactly the, the opposite strategies. Um, so, and, and I guess actually I was probably a relatively good manager, but I was unaware of what was motivating my team. And therefore, if you're unaware of what's motivating your team, you've only got your default, default pattern to go with, which is uh, what, what motivates you. Um, and the other side of things is people are busy. Often you get managers who are specialists uh, uh, doing a certain thing and they haven't got as much time to put into people management as they would like. So the map really shortcuts that as if you have that greater awareness of what's motivating and you understand the language, the, 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 uh, language around motivation, it really makes best use of the management time that you do have. Absolutely. I really agree with you on that point as well about how, you know, managers a lot of the time they've kind of gone up the ladder because they're, they're of their skills and their experience within a particular role. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually good people managers. They're perhaps good managers of the task or that particular project, but but they don't have enough experience or any kind of training around helping or leading people. Yeah, no, you see that time and again, and that comes out in the maps where there's three achievement motivational drivers, the expert specialization mastery, the, the director power control influence, which is more of the management driver or the leadership driver and the builder, which is around money, achievement, competition. And so time and time again, we see high experts being promoted into management positions, largely because in many organizations, there isn't the the ability to gain greater recognition or greater pay through specialization, which is a mistake that many organizations make. I know that's one that my old organization made. And so forth. you do end up with specialists as managers, and that doesn't kind of suit the individual or the organization. Um, so in terms of culture change, there's an opportunity in the organizational map, where you, which is now available and has been for the last couple of years, we can map an entire organization. What offers the ability for, for senior leaders to look at organizations and actually think where are our next leaders coming from and use some of the knowledge around what's motivating to help with with culture change um so yeah it's it's a fascinating area and the other side there's it, it obviously if you've got somebody who is a high expert in a management position they need help and support to manage in fact one of our motivational mappers uh, mark terrell he runs a podcast called the the reluctant leader and it's it's very popular because so many people are, are finding themselves in leadership positions that don't necessarily want to be a leader, but they've just found themselves there. And of course, he uses the maps to help people in, in that, that niche. So, so yes, it's, um, it's such a common thing where people who are very good at their job are promoted into a, a role that doesn't necessarily suit them. But it, And I think with greater awareness, um, organisations can then reward specialisation, uh, which is important. Absolutely. Yeah, I've waffled on a little bit there. Sorry, Lizzie. No, no, I, that is all brilliant information and and so insightful because it's true. You know that that specialism should be rewarded, and it's a shame because so many managers can can get to that managerial or leadership position, and the job they actually once loved is now a job they don't like because actually. It's, it's changed from being, you know, that that task and that project that they love to being people. And we, we all know how difficult it can be to manage people. So they can go from being very fulfilled and engaged in their role and then get promoted to be a manager and then think, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't what yeah, I signed up for. <laughs> absolutely. And sometimes the people who may not be performing as well in a particular task-based role might actually be the right profile for a manager. 
whereas the people who are performing particularly well in task-based roles are often the ones that get promoted based on their performance, but actually don't have the driver to want to manage other people. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a very common, um, a very common challenge, but again, one that greater awareness can really, and, and certainly the motivational maps can help unpick and, and so that people can make really positive decisions around both recruitment, but also about crucially for me as a coach, it's helping people to make really good, clearly informed career choices. Definitely, because, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be happy at work. <laughs> yeah, no, for, for sure. I mean, we spend we spend such a long time working um, that, that it's really crucial that we, that, well, crucial for our well-being that we find fulfilment in doing what we, what do, as best we can, find fulfilment doing what we, what most suits us. Um, Definitely. I mean, I really think at the moment, I don't know about you, but there's a real shift coming in regards to organizations and their focus because I think people are are, are starting to really wake up to the impact of how their organization and their culture impacts the people that work for them and I think it's 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 really changing because I think it's it's that awakening of actually right we we don't just need to put the the attention on the bottom line we actually need to put attention to the people that are helping us achieve that bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, it, it, it's kind of inevitable, really. It has to happen because um, attention, you've got to, if it's like anything, if you're going to be a great sports performer, you have to focus on the process that leads to the, to the performance. Um, and businesses who are focusing on the outcome are clearly not going to get as good results as those who are focusing on the process. Now, that's an oversimplification. But in essence, people are the greatest asset that any any business have. I had this conversation with somebody, I wouldn't say it was an argument, but it was a, a, a disagreement of, <laughs> of, uh, of beliefs and values in that I was talking about human resources in that humans aren't resources. Businesses are resources yeah. for human beings. Yeah. And it was a really, this is a lovely guy, uh, but kind of a little bit old school, and he couldn't get his head around the fact that he thought, no, humans are resources for businesses. I was like, Businesses are not things. Businesses are not beings. They're not alive. They're things. They're, they're there <laughs> to serve human beings. And and it was quite an interesting conversation. So the whole title, Human Resources, kind of gives an indication how, in lots of ways, our, our thinking in business, I'm not going to use the word old-fashioned, but there's, some, there's certainly a shift coming where organizations are now beginning to value people and understand the importance of leadership and management i was a a manager for five years before i had any management or leadership development training um and even then i had to twist somebody's arm to get on a course um whereas now i think that is changing that is changing definitely i i must agree with you in regards to to the the perception around human resources i think it's a, a title that really needs to change because it makes it sound as though people are disposable and and like you know we can just be used up and thrown away yeah and i think uh, it's it's such a such an interesting thing if we create businesses that serve humans that lead to us as human beings feeling fulfilled within it and here's the thing we all know when we've been happy and fulfilled in our work we produce better results um and there's so much evidence statistics out there that demonstrate that that if attention in that area really does deliver deliver top quality results and we know from the map projects that we do you you come in and there's a lot of skepticism sometimes from organizations about kind of either 
perceived value of these things. But the nice thing, and, we, and the map, people often do the maps because we're confident enough to say we'll demonstrate an improvement in motivation. Um, but once a, a practitioner has been in for a couple of days, they're already bought in because they've, oh, crikey, that's why I've been struggling with that person. And oh, geez, crikey, that person's struggling because they're in the wrong position of their skill set. And all of a sudden, some of those real headaches uh, solutions are beginning to emerge through greater awareness. So, um, so I think I think it's there's that there's been a, a I would say almost a, a, a skepticism that I certainly experienced when I first started doing what I'm doing, which is now changing it's still there in pockets but there's much more openness to to personal development to motivational mapping to to psychometrics to even to nlp which for some people is still um well still misunderstood in in a lot of places absolutely no i completely agree with you i mean i know it's a, a big and a broad question um and probably based on a lot of assumptions but from your experience why do you think companies are now only just starting to want to understand what motivates their people. Well, I think um, I think some companies have been doing it quite a while. Obviously, um, some companies, and it's, I, guess, I guess a good example of this is, is the recruitment industry. Um, so I've been having lots of conversations with. I've had two conversations today, actually. Um, one where a map practitioner is working with a recruitment agency. One where a map practitioner has stopped running his recruitment agency, is now running a leadership and development consultancy. Um, and th- so the recruitment industry is an interesting one because I couldn't understand when I first started motivational mapping why rec- the recruitment industry wasn't interested because the two products, just the, the service and the product go hand in hand. And I came to the conclusion that, that, that the reason why was there hadn't been enough pain in the industry yet. Um, and what I mean by that is often as human beings, we, we kind of get stuck doing the same things in the same way. Um, and, and that applies to all of us. I mean, I, I can think of times in my own business where that's occurred, where I've just carried on doing things because it's what's in front of me. And sometimes it does require a little bit of what we call away from motivation or a little bit of pain to cause organizations to shift and to change, especially big organizations, because that's challenging when you've got lots of people and, and, a, and, a, and a set culture. So I think the, the inevitable answer is that people vote with their feet. Um, there's a huge, we've now got 60,000 motivational maps completed and the search of motivation is much more prevalent now than it was when maps first started. So the desire for meaning and purpose and to be doing work that you find meaningful is by and large the top motivator now. Um, and so there's a generational thing going on here as well that, that organizations have got to respond to because they haven't been able to. And again, a conversation I was having earlier around, I'm not sure I like the millennials tag, um, but but the, but Simon, who's a, who's a motivational mapper, he says he keeps being asked by managers in their 40s and 50s how to manage um, people in a, from the younger generation. Uh, and the map's a, a wonderful tool to unpick some of that um, uh, and create a language around that because it is often actually around helping people to find fulfillment, meaning and purpose in the work uh, as opposed to generations gone by, a job for life. A lot of people weren't, it wasn't something that yeah. was so important or maybe not that, maybe it was that actually you weren't expected to find fulfillment in work. It was just you did a job. <laughs> yeah no definitely I think you 
pick up on a really good point there because it's so easy to to stereotype by going oh well this generation really want this but this generation really want this and it's like well hang on a minute I think we're all a bit more multifaceted than being labeled under a generation and 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 fulfillment I think is something we all want (laughs) yes well for sure for sure and I think expectations have have shifted around fulfillment I'm, I'm only talking from I'm talking from kind of my my parents' generation now about decisions that were made around security and stability, uh, routine and predictability, which is the defender motivation. Um, and if you're a high defender, low searcher, you, you would make decisions around safety and security. Um, whereas if you're a higher searcher than, than defender, you'll make decisions around meaning and purpose and maybe make, take more of a leap of faith with that. Um, and Simon, interesting conversation with Simon today saying, yeah, he's done map projects where the whole generational thing, language has been banded around. And what he's found is that the managers are high searchers and the the younger members of the team who are being managed are also high searchers. But the difference was that what was meaningful was intangible and that, that it opened up conversations and the managers were learning how to find out what each individual within the team was find what did find meaningful or didn't find meaningful so they could nuance their work and their management style so it was quite yeah quite an interesting conversation how there wasn't uh, an obvious answer that there was a millennial profile or a <laughs> generation x profile it would but it, it was the the greater awareness of what of helping managers find out what the team were finding meaningful made made the difference that's so fascinating, isn't it? That there was, you know, it ha- helped an organisation to really understand the motivations and actually that there's similarities even between generations. Uh, absolutely. And, and there's no there's no hard and fast rules. I think sometimes we're too too quick. To, yes, there are trends. There are, um, so Jane So was saying that there's evidence that there's out of the 60,000 maps completed, there's a difference between men and women. Well, no surprise there. We haven't quite extrapolated the data out sufficiently yet to, to, to talk about that um, to in any great length yet. But also, out of those 60,000 maps, you could have any numeral profiles from any innumerable people. So, so it's a very, the wonderful thing is it, it, management, and that's why, again, it goes back to why management and leadership is tricky. Management is about being bespoke and being flexible and treating people the way they want to be treated as opposed to treating it, uh, treating it. I mean, it's funny how often I've had people in HR, or not just HR, people say, you've got to treat people equitably. You've got to treat everybody the same. No, we've got to treat people equitably and fairly, which means treating everybody differently in a fair manner. Mm. Uh, and so there's a real link to reward here as well. Somebody who's a high builder motivated by money. and, and you could, If you pay them a £1,000 bonus, and spent a thousand pound on a high expert um, to do a training course. That's absolutely equitable and fair, but they're being treated differently, but fairly. Um, and it's it's such there's such a, a misunderstanding around this. I remember doing a, some work with a, a bank that will go unnamed, and the manager was very very motivated commercially, and she couldn't understand why one of her team was really struggling. And when the map came back, the the manager was a very high builder, director, money. Uh, achievement competition and also control and influence and the particular member of the team was a high sort meaning and purpose learning and development and I said to to this particular lady I said he would much rather that that money was spent on his training and development than than the bonus and she laughed 
um, because she couldn't, in her model of the world, she couldn't understand. She said, oh, I'd like, to, like you to see me sell that to him. But it was interesting in the meeting afterwards when we were having <laughs> a conversation about it, how openly in a group forum, how he, he kind of felt brave enough to say that the bonus system actually didn't motivate him at all. And it was a lovely moment of recognition and awareness where we, I then had a further follow-on conversation with that manager where some of the, that knowledge and it started to, to sink in. Is crikey, I need to have bespoke reward strategies for each, for, for that match what motivates each person. Um, and I mean, I don't want to scare any managers listening to this because if you if you have if you have an interest in learning and development and you're interested in and you, you you're good natured, you'll be doing a lot of things right. Um, but I would challenge everybody if they've got a relationship that they're struggling with, that there might just be, often we think it's a personality clash. And often what we found is actually, it's, it's actually just a misalignment of values. Definitely. No, that really makes sense. I mean, picking up on that as well, can our motivations change over time? And do we as individuals have any persuasion over this? Well, yes. I mean, they, they, there's two kind of main ways in that motivational preferences change. One is circumstantial. So um, if something happened in your life, um, if a, 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 there was an accident and all of a sudden bulldozer went through your house, your, what motivates you after that incident will change. So circumstantial changes or transformational changes. So um, people leading up to retirement or children leaving home or we've got one of our um, math practitioners who's a psychologist who's doing a study on the effect of pregnancy on motivation uh, and kind of a, a before what's motivating in the year before and what's motivating in, in the, the year after um, and I have no idea what that will show up but I would expect there to be a change um, just, wow. just from my own kind of anecdotal experience of that um, so so yeah so the, the what what motivates you does change over time i mean i I was not that you know it looking at me now i was a fitness instructor in my early 20s and i just wanted to be around people i liked i just wanted to kind of recreate the atmosphere i'd had at university so i was i I didn't have a map back then but i would have been a high friend um whereas now when i completed my friend isn't at the bottom of the map but it's kind of near the bottom um, and actually, I think about it when I turn up to my office in the morning, there's no one there. It's just me. Although I spend a lot of time with people coaching and training, I'm not actually working with nobody. Whereas high friends would really like just want to be around people they get on well with. They want that that kind of social interaction from work. Um, so, yeah, the map, your, what, what tends to happen is your growth motivations grow over time. Freedom, independence, motivation change, meaning and purpose. If one of those or two of those is important to you, it will gradually become more important. Our achievement motivations of money or control or learning and development and specialization and our relationship-based motivations of security, stability, recognition and relationships can gradually over time uh, decrease in, in, um, in importance to us as we kind of go through our career. I often think about Bill Gates, who's clearly very motivated commercially. And now, of course, he's very charitable and in a very different phase of life. So, so you can almost see some of these trends happening in society with, with um, both with people we know, but also people out in the in the wider public domain. Definitely, I think I can relate to that as well. Because even going through different periods of my life, I can see 
you know, when I was motivated by, like you say, friendship and socials and, and, you know, you, you start earning money with your first job and all those kind of things to now, you know, hitting my thirties. My ah, and then, um, you know, wanting to, to find a bit more meaning and fulfillment from what, from the work that I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, you've just encapsulated there. There's a, there's that journey from being, being, and of course, Everybody is a combination of all nine motivational preferences at any point. But as a general rule, you'll find that over time that some of our relationship motivation may diminish slightly. Um, and our need for security, as an example, as we find greater security, it becomes less important to us. Mm. As we earn more money, and this has been proven uh, at CEO pay level beyond a certain point, stops being motivational. So once people have enough money, it stops being as, as motivating. Um, and and that's really where you mentioned why organizations are now changing. Well, because they've had to. I, I did some work in an organization where they'd never had a senior manager go past the age of 50. Um, and when we mapped the 21 managers who were all in their 40s, the second motivational preference was freedom and independence. The worst met motivation was also freedom and independence. And straight away, I was able to demonstrate to them why they were struggling to retain they're very well paid and high performing senior managers. Um, so it's, yeah, I think there's that if organizations don't fulfill the growth motivations, then they're going to keep losing quality people. Definitely. I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to what you've just said. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, mean, I, I love the maps because it, it's, it's such a, it, it really does. A lot of times people feel I did a lady yesterday, feel that, oh, I wish I'd done this three years ago. Um, and she'd actually fallen into and made lots of good choices and is now in a very fulfilled uh, consultancy. Um, but on reflection, having had a chat yesterday, she said, oh, this would have made that transition so much smoother. Um, so, so yeah, it, it's part of our journey on this. And we're all here to support each other, kind of move towards greater fulfillment. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. I mean, once organisations have a better understanding of their team motivations, like you've discussed already, what would you recommend they do? Um, you know, where should they start when making improvements on that information? Yeah, well, I think the first things first is um, getting to a point where managers, there's often a pilot project where a team or a manager gets a practitioner in and they map a team of people the manager all of a sudden has greater insight into what's motivating that team. The practitioner has helped guide the manager into what sort of conversations to have with what person, what wins there are, what emergencies there are. Sometimes you find stop top performers are about to leave. Um, that happened in my first map project where the marketing manager was incredible but was devalued and feeling like she wasn't getting any recognition. And as with most good marketing managers, the star was high wanting recognition because that's a good profile for somebody in marketing. Um, but she wasn't feeling that she was getting that. So the first thing first is for the manager of, of that particular team to start making adjustments in their management style and testing the water with a bit of support of the practitioner, a bit of coaching. Um, and then once once that the concept has been proved and that um, a team performance, productivity, communication between team members 
a workshop between team members so the understanding of the language and communication around that and making that fun one that's once that's done um, what i now recommend is actually scaling something so that um so that actually you can map everybody in the organization and have people trained up within an organization so that it becomes rather than it just being because that was my frustration we used to do stuff in my old work where we'd get somebody in and they'd do some profiling and then a week later it'd be sat on the shelf in a, in a folder. Um, yeah. So, and that was really why I became a trainer of, of motivational mapping so that I could leave. Cause I lost, I actually lost a piece of business where um, we couldn't scale it. We couldn't find a way of making the numbers work and have everybody access to it. Cause they really bought into it. They wanted all 8,000 people to be mapped. But at the time, as me on my own, I couldn't find a way of working that project. Whereas now, the, the the ideal is that you end up with people internally trained within organisations to deliver maps, and that just makes the whole thing much more much more meaningful because it becomes a regular. This is what we do as part of our appraisal process. It just makes the whole appraisal thing so much more meaningful. Um, I've got a friend who does engagement surveys and who tells me that in some of the organizations, the appraisal process is the number one most demotivating factor. And I'm like, crikey, that's the thing that's, yeah. that's, the thing that's most a bit meant to be helping people. So, um, so that was a bit of a surprise to me. I don't, but but um, yeah, so it's a very long-winded answer. But yeah, that's the ideal is that we get to a place where you've got managers with a greater understanding of what to do with their team and there's always a structure that the, the support from a practitioner would come back in periodically after the original profiling exercise and the um, and the debriefs and the fee and the workshop. So that there's 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 not just a we're coming in, we're doing the work, we're getting out again. There's actually a program of work going on, leading to knowledge across the organisation. Absolutely, I think that's some really insightful ideas, actually, because like you say, you don't want to just you know do something in an organization and then it doesn't actually get embed into the the you know the company culture and used and utilized um you know it shouldn't be gathering dust it should be navigating and helping people to create a path yeah absolutely and, and i found that the nice thing about the maps as opposed to some other tools which are also equally good i mean lots of tools raise awareness but the nice thing about the maps is there's actually a, it's motivation rather than personality. And I found that people respond um, better to that because at the end of the day, we get out of bed in the morning because of what drives us, not because of our personality. But B, because it's actually a measure. If you've got a manager, I mean, I know I pricked my ears up when I found my team was 68% motivated. I was like, oh, crikey, 68%. Is that good? I don't know. Is that good? And they think, well, it's okay, but it could be better. And I'm thinking, oh, crikey. So there's things I can do here. Uh, and as a manager who was interested in people, it was like, wow, this is amazing. Now, equally, you get managers who aren't as interested in people who think, oh, this is going to save me so much time or it's going to save me so many headaches. <laughs> um, so you kind of get different reactions to it. But, um, but yeah, there's the, certainly the ability to actually have a measure of how fulfilled a team is. And, of course, one of James Sale, the, the inventor of MAPS, last MAP project before he kind of handed over training to, to senior practitioners and business practitioners was with a company where they did map everybody in the organization and no surprise the most highest performing team that was winning the awards at the end of the year was of course the most motivated team and um no surprise there but but again i guess it being that black and white was almost surprising but um because you almost don't expect it but there is definitely a straight line between 
performance in work and our and our levels of fulfillment from the t- people in the team absolutely no I totally agree and I think you're going to really inspire some people with this conversation because it's something that can help really truly help people understand not only their their own self-awareness and what motivates them but like you say you know it can really help organizations and teams nurture their people to motivate them and create that fulfilling work and, and make happy people at work yeah absolutely well that's the hope i mean that's kind of the, the mission if you like um as high searches we like to have, have mission so that's the the intention is that we can we can do that that we want and i guess my own there's only one of me so i'm no longer so interested in going into businesses and doing direct um motivational map projects myself there's a team of people that we've trained that, that that can do that but there's also the opportunity for individuals to become trained as mappers themselves um because that's that really the way of growing this and getting more and more motivational maps used and more and more awareness of what what drives people in their career absolutely well thank you so much Bevis, for sharing all of your insight and knowledge with us on motivational maps. I will share all of Bevis's links in the bio, in the show notes. So ensure to check out um, Bevis's website and Magenta Coaching Solutions um, and also Bevis's Twitter account as well. So um, perhaps just drop him a little message if you've listened to the episode. But thank you so much for joining us today, Bevis. I've been my absolute pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Really enjoyed it. You've been listening to Make It Thrive, the company culture podcast with me, your host, Lizzie Benton. If you've enjoyed listening and want to keep up with all things culture, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to welcoming you back next week.